Well, ladies, we're so glad uh, that you're here today, and we want to honor you, and we want to preach a message about one of the prominent women uh, in the Bible. Uh, we are currently studying the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis, but we are going to suspend him for just a, just a Sunday, and then next week uh, we'll pick it up in Genesis chapter 39. But our text today is Acts chapter 16. It's the story of a lady by the name of Lydia. And there is a phrase in that passage of Scripture that we're about to read that just captured my heart as I was studying for this message a couple of weeks ago. I've preached through the book of Acts. I've preached on the life of Lydia even here at Great Hills before, three years ago. I'm sure all of you uh, remember that. But anyhow, we're going to preach on her again today, Acts chapter 16. And the phrase is this, and the Lord opened her heart. You know, there are just some phrases that capture you, like something explosive, world-changing happened in first century Palestine. Oh, my life was uh, an atheist. I was, um, you know, into materialism and evolution until that great day something dramatic happened to me. Jennifer said I had a baby, and it absolutely changed my life. Well, in this story, there's something that changed the life of Lydia. And ladies, moms, grandmoms, I want you to look at this and just enter into this text with me today as we study the life of this lady named Lydia. The Bible says the Apostle Paul and his missionary band, his missionary colleagues, as they were traveling through Asia Minor, they landed in a place called Philippi. I was in Philippi a number of years ago and was actually able to see the very place where Lydia was baptized. And they told us, the scholars and the historians, they say, if you look around, there's not a whole lot of places where there's water. It had to be right here on this spot that the first European convert to Christianity was a woman by the name of Lydia. So Paul and his band, they are traveling and they come to this place called Philippi. And it says, and on the Sabbath day, now that would be on Saturday, the Sabbath, they went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. So they're having a worship service, if you will, on the Sabbath out at the riverbank. And we sat down, Paul said, the, the plural, we, and my missionary friends, probably Timothy, perhaps Luke, we sat down and we spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. Don't y'all like that name Lydia? Isn't that pretty? You know what's in the top 100 today uh, of names that parents are naming their children, their girls, uh, Lydia. I love the name Hannah, of course, amen, that's our firstborn. Uh, but if we had another baby, which I don't think that's going to happen, Ash, I don't think that's possible, but uh, I don't know, you know, Abraham and uh, Sarah, but um, <laughs> uh, laughter, that's good. Um, I, I love the name Abigail or, or Abby, and I also love this name Lydia. Like I said, one of the in the top 100 names, the parents are naming their children. Lydia is named for the Lydian kingdom. She was from Thyatira, which is one of the prominent cities in Revelation 2 and 3, the seven churches in Asia Minor. But she wasn't named just after the city. No, she was named after the whole region, the Lydian kingdom. And here's this precious lady named Lydia, and she akuo us. You see the word heard there in verse 14? It's, it's the Greek word akuo. It's where we get our English word acoustics. And it's in the imperfect tense in the Greek New Testament, which means that she not only heard us speak, she was really listening to us. And the imperfect tense is continual action in past time. So it wasn't like, oh, yeah, I hear you, and then she went ahead, you know, by the water there or whatever she was doing and carried on. No, she stopped 
and she was worshiping on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath, and she heard us, she kept on listening and hearing us, and she was a seller of purple, which means she was a businesswoman, a seller of purple, which then could be extracted from either a matter root or a shellfish. Do you know that was prominent up until the 19th century? That's how they got the purple dye. They put it in, well, I guess sort of like clothes that are bluish or purple, and they would rub it in there and it make this beautiful, colorful fabric. And it, it, today it's been replaced by the actual purple dye itself. But back then, that's how they did it. They extracted it from either the matter root or the shellfish. And she was a businesswoman, and she was from the city of Thyatira, but now she lives in Philippi. And she worshiped God. Many people believe that Lydia was not a Jew. She was like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, which they were known as God-fearers. They were attracted to the monotheism of the Jewish religion. And we went out knocking on doors Tuesday night in the area here and had a great time just visiting people here. I knock on people's door and I say, we're, we're that big church there on the corner and, and we believe in the art of neighboring. We want to be a good neighbor to you. And this guy said, I'm a Jew. And I was like, oh, that's good. And Carol, a lady was visiting with me. She goes, oh, I love the Jewish faith. I love the Jewish religion. So did she. She was very attracted to it. But notice what happened next. Even though she's on the Sabbath there on the Saturday, and she's worshiping God in the religion that she knows, that the Lord opened her heart. Don't you love that? Isn't that precious? That is absolutely soteriologically salvation-oriented, very, very powerful statement. And I hope to try to unpack and reveal some of this terminology to you today. What does it mean when the Lord opened her heart? to heed, to obey the things that were spoken by Paul. Now, when she and her household were baptized, amen, not only did she hear, she obeyed. She became a follower of Christ. The Holy Spirit of God comes in her. She's baptized, and she begged us, she implored us, and she said, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And then Paul, or Luke says, and so she persuaded us to come. What a great story. You know, I love the Bible, and I love it especially because it is the Word of God, and it is true. It tells the accurate accounts of men and women of faith. And if you're a lady here today, I just want you to know you're in great company. You're in a household of faith. You're here among people at Great Hills Baptist Church. You're, you're among many women and moms and grandmoms that love God, who who love to worship God, and so you are in a very good place today, and we're glad that you're here. Now, as soon as I say that, I know that there are many here that, like myself, this is a hard day. Um, it's hard for me because November the 18th, 2014, we, we buried my mom. She passed away after about a 15 year. She, she developed dementia and Alzheimer's when she was in her early to mid-50s, and we watched her just deteriorate to the point when she was about 70 years of age, it finally took her life. And so, my mind goes back to Alabama, to Birmingham, Alabama, and I think about my mom, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, my heart hurts, and yet I, I'm, I'm, I want to rejoice with you because I know many of you, your moms are here, and your mom is alive. And some of you precious ladies up here just a moment ago, you are a, a mom. But I just want you to know, if you're here today, and if you're like me and your heart grieves, or perhaps you're here today and you're a female, and you cannot have children, and your heart is broken. Y'all know this day is the second largest 
attendance days in the entire calendar year in our church. Second only to, anybody? Easter, that's right. But did you know there are many, many women who would not dare darken the door of this church today? Because today is a very, very hard day. Some who have miscarriages, some who had abortions, and some who's, like I said a moment their moms are not here any longer, and they, they stay away. But listen, I'm glad that you're here. We welcome you today. We're, we're rejoicing that you are here for such a time as this to hear a message de- dedicated specifically to you of the female gender. The lady Lydia reminds me of another woman in Proverbs chapter 31. This woman, like Lydia, was industrious, assiduous, very hardworking, diligent, intelligent, business savvy woman that feared God. Proverbs 31, you know this well, don't you? Remember this? Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing. Ladies, please underscore that. Accentuate that in your mind, that charm is fleeting and deceitful, and beauty does, it, it evaporates, it fades away. But a woman who fears God, she shall be praised. Give her, give that woman of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Our primary focus today in this message is that one phrase, though, of how God opened the heart of Lydia. And I want to try to understand that better with you, that in that salvation moment, how does that happen? Jennifer Fulweiler is sharing her testimony a moment ago. It reminded me of, of the life of Lydia, who they were exposed to Christianity. She was exposed to Christianity through her disciplined study of the world religions and the study specifically of Christianity. Lydia was there on the riverbank, and man, you know, I, I, I bet she was, C.S. Lewis, when he was converted to Christ, he said, I was surprised by joy. I was surprised that that which I had totally dismissed had the explosive power to arrest my mind and to arrest my soul, and when I surrendered to the claims of Christ, I was overwhelmed and surprised by the joy of the Lord. I wonder if Lydia had that same experience as she's just sitting there, and she's participating with some of the other women, and they are listening. Maybe there's some hymns being sung. Maybe there's someone there who's reading the Torah, or maybe reading some of the Pentateuch, the Old Testament, maybe the law, the writings, the prophets. I don't know, but they're having a time together of worship. And Paul, very boldly, I might add, Paul makes his way over to those women. And, and that could, that probably was looked down upon in first century Palestine, or at least in this part of the world too, in Asia Minor. You know, men really just not supposed to be that forward as they're speaking to other women, but Paul wasn't by himself. He took his missionary friends with him, and they begin to engage them probably in a Socratic, dialogical way of evangelizing them. You know, the, the longer I live, and especially the longer I live in Austin, Texas, I am understanding more the validity of Socratic, dialogical evangelism. I heard somebody say the other day, millennials don't necessarily want you knocking on their door unexpectedly and not announcing your arrival, but they would love to have coffee with you over here at the Starbucks and listen to you. You know, that's true. A friend of mine, Dr. Alvin Reed, I heard him do a, a, um, a video on YouTube the other day, and, and he said, man, when I sit down with millennials, the first thing I ask them is this, hey, tell me your story. 
tell me your story. Who are you? What do you like? What do you dislike? Not, not necessarily religious, but just tell me your story. Who are you? By the way, you may want to try that. Next time you see somebody, especially a millennial, 30 years of age or younger, just say, man, tell me about your life. Who, who are you? And as they unpack the story of their life, God, the Holy Spirit, gives you opportunities to interject about your life and the greatest thing that ever happened to you, which also could be traced back to that explosion in Palestine 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ arose from the dead. So much in this story. I love reading it, love studying about this lady, uh, Lydia. One writer says she was a woman of God. She loved to hear God's Word and put it into action. She sold her purple clothing. In those days, purple was seen as rich and royal. She was the Apostle Paul's first convert in Philippi, and thus the very first convert, as we said a moment ago, to the Christian faith in all of Europe. Another writer says, Lydia is a very early place name, that of an area of Asia Minor whose inhabitants are credited, listen to this, interesting, in her heritage, in her lineage of the Lydian kingdom, they invented coinage. They had a strong, the people there had strong musical talent as well as great wealth. End of quote. Verse 14, she was not yet a follower of Christ, but the Bible says, did you hear this? Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us, seller of purple. The Lord opened her heart to heed, listen to this, the things. I wonder what that is. In verse 14, it says, she, God opened her heart to obey, to listen to the things spoken by Paul. What, what was that? What do you think it was? When Paul came upon them on the riverbank that day, there in Philippi, in Asia Minor, and, and he comes upon them and he says, can I tell you about some things? I can tell you what those things are. Unapologetically, unashamedly, boldly, I will tell you precisely. And I was thinking about this message. I am no Apostle Paul, but I have the identical message of the Apostle Paul. I, I am not a first century blazing evangelist and theologian and church planner, but I am, I am a simple man of God who has the exact message as those amazing men of God, and the things that Paul said to Lydia are these. They call it the kerygma. It's from the Greek word kerouks, which means a herald or someone who has significant news. And C.H. Dodd and others went through the book of Acts, and they picked out the salient features of the charismatic preaching of the apostles in the first century. And they deduced these salient features, and it would go something like this. And Paul's message had an outline to it, and it went something like this that God loves you, and God has a plan for your life, and God is the creator of the heavens and the earth and the universe. And this God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is the God of the Hebrews, and this God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, of His very nature. And Jesus Christ came, and He walked upon this earth. And Lydia, I'm telling you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, my name is Paul. I used to be Saul, but I met Him, and He radically changed my life. And I know we're over here in Europe, but I know we're here in Asia Minor, but I'm back there in Palestine, He walked, He talked, He lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He healed the 
sick. He raised the dead. He touched the lepers. He taught amazing sermons. And Jesus Christ was the incarnate God, the Son of God, come to earth. Well, guess what happened to him? He was falsely accused. He was imprisoned in Caiaphas' house. And I've been there, by the way, too. In 2008, I went to that dungeon, that Caiaphas' house, where our Lord spent the night after he was kissed by Judas and after he was falsely arrested, he was placed in that dungeon. And Paul might say, you know, and then after that, they, they beat him and then they impaled him on a cross and Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. But that's not all, Lydia and ladies, as Paul might say. An explosive thing happened in Palestine around A.D. 33. God the Father vindicated every claim that He made to deity. God the Father substantiated His ministry, exonerated His life. When God the Father raised His Son up from the dead and He appeared, He appeared to multitudes of people. He's alive today. He ascended to the Father. Therefore, and that's this charismatic, this is the powerful charismatic preaching of, this, of the apostles. They always say, and therefore, repent and believe the gospel. That was the message. Now, I know it was much more eloquent, and I know it had much more substance and power. The apostle Paul, who saw the resurrected Lord, the same Paul that wrote over half of our New Testament to various churches, and the apostle Paul says, and Lydia, would you believe and, and would you receive this good news? Would you turn from your sins? And the Holy Spirit of God, He's working on her and He opens her heart and she receives the message of the gospel. And that's salvation. That's very simple, but it's very profound. And it happened then, and it happened to Miss Fullweiler, and it happened to another lady in our church, and I want to tell you her story. And I thank her for given me permission to share her story. In fact, she wrote it out. She wrote her testimony to me, and I'm going to get to share it with you because I just love it. It's so very, very powerful. It's the story of a Muslim lady named Zahaya. And Zahaya, they call her Joy, and they, they should call her Joy. She's a bundle of joy. Zahaya makes me feel tall. I, I like standing next to her. You know, she's about that, that tall. Zahaya, where, where art thou? Are you in the house? There you are. God bless you, sweetie. There she is, right there. <clears throat> Zahia says, my name is Zahia Hassan Napa, the eldest daughter of Mike and Wahidi Mahud, Ma Mahmoud Hassan. She's not from Alabama. I just want you all to know that right quick. <laughs> Lebanon. As a devout Muslim, I believe that Jesus was a son of God in the generic sense that all of us are sons and daughters of God. I did not believe that Jesus was divine. But when I was 13 years of age, my junior high school economics teacher, home economics teacher, gave me a copy of the New Testament. And by the way, if you, if you teach school and you're here today and you teach in the public school, God bless you. I don't know how much longer you're going to be able to hang in there and do is this crazy world in which we live. But listen, as God gives you opportunity, you love on those students, and you let them see Jesus in you. And if God puts it on you to give them a Bible, give them a Bible. You say, I might get fired. God will get you another job. I'm pretty convinced. 
gave me a New Testament, but I did not, uh, she said, I did not discuss this with my parents. For my parents, you see, were Muslim, Muslim. Two reasons were, number one, I was taught to hate Jews. I was taught that. And Jesus was a Jew, so this is taboo, this is forbidden territory, number one. Number two, she said, a female Muslim was in danger of an honor killing for blaspheming against Muhammad and Islam by converting to Christianity. That's pretty strong. You think about that for just a moment. If you were raised in that environment, and you're taught that you are to hate Jews, and you're also taught that you could lose your life if you as a female became a follower of Jesus Christ, your uncle, your dad, your brother, that it was okay if they killed you, because in killing you, they were honoring Allah because you had then become an infidel and apostate to their religion. I just want you to know, I'm so glad my Christian religion is not like that. I'm so grateful to God for love and mercy and compassion and joy. I just want to go on record to say that. But Pastor Frank Ball, B-A-U-G-H, you still remember him? He since has passed away. He pastored in Shawnee, Oklahoma. It was the uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church, and he befriended her parents. Now, that's pretty bold, isn't it? For a Baptist pastor to, you know, I was shopping, I'm sorry guys, I got to go on record, shopping yesterday for Mother's Day, anybody else in that, amen, you know, pushing my little buggy through H-E-B, seeing church members, having a good time, and I see this guy coming toward me with a turban, and he's no Baptist, all right? And when he walked by me, I just, I just kind of got mad, and I just, I just shoved him, and he fell out into the cards, and I said, turn or burn, buddy, get right with God, and I just kept on walking. <laughs> Y'all know I didn't do that. You know I didn't do that. I did just the opposite. I just, I looked at him in the eye, and I just said, how are you doing? And it absolutely shocked him. I think it surprised him that another person, Anglo, would just talk to him and engage, and he had that big old, you know, the big turban. So anyhow, this pastor befriends this couple, and Zahia said, you know, I started reading that New Testament, and I started listening to people of the Christian faith. She said, hey, I even chose to compare the ten major religions of the world for my ninth grade social studies class. That's, and by the way, this is a brilliant lady. How many PhDs do you have? Do you, two? Two PhDs, very bright, very brilliant, ninth grade. Uh, probably smarter than I was in the, in the 12th grade, and she's studying social studies, and she said, there were two verses of Scripture in the Bible that really got my attention, and I said, if they are true, if these passages of Scripture are true, then I'm in big trouble <laughs> as a Muslim. The first one was this, for God so loved the world. It doesn't say that in any surah, any chapter, any hadith. You'll never read that in the Quran that God so loved the world with such compassion and great love that He gave His only Son, Jesus. And she said, I read that, and I thought, is that true? Could that be true? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, Jesus, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting eternal life. And then she says in her, in her letter, she wrote to me, she said, and also verse 17, which says, but God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world 
but that the world through him might be saved. And she said the second verse, and Zahia, I don't know if you know this, but this is my favorite verse in all the Bible, because I know the explosive power of Scripture when you really believe it for the very first time, as I did as a sophomore in university back in the state of Alabama. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, meaning Jesus is who He says He is, that He is the eternal God come in the flesh, and that He is the Lord, the Kyrios, the one who is in control. If you confess that with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. And that's what happened to Zahaya. She said one night, i got to read this to you, this is so powerful. She said one night I knelt beside my bed and I earnestly begged God, God convince me without a doubt that coming to faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved and to be reconciled to God. My room was bathed in a light so brilliant. By the way, God loves to answer that prayer. If you're here today and you're like Lydia and you're like, hey, I, I, I'm interested. If you're like Zahaya, if you're like Jennifer Fullwater, by the way, God is not intimidated by your atheism. <laughs> God is not intimidated by your Islamic religion. God is not intimidated by anything. And if you are a truth seeker and God has put it in your heart to seek Him and you call out to Him and say, God, I'm, I'm open. God, show yourself. Let me tell you something, church, all over this world, especially in Islamic nations today, there are thousands of Muslims coming to faith in Jesus Christ because they are dissatisfied with that hate-filled religion. And they say, this cannot be true, oh God, are you real? And if you're real, please show yourself to me. They go to sleep, they have a dream, praise God, they have a dream. There's a radiant light, a blast of love and hope and compassion, and Jesus Christ reveals Himself to them and they're saved. It's happening all over the world. <laughs> happening all over the world. Man, I would, I'd believe in that. I, I'd be interested in that if, if God would do some big old miracle like that here in Austin, Texas. It's not that God can't. It's like Nazareth. Because of their unbelief, Jesus could do no mighty miracles. But if we really believed, oh, son. God, listen to what she said. My room was bathed in light so brilliant. That even if I had a, by the way, this is, this is so eloquent. Thank you. Listen to this. My room was bathed in a light so brilliant that even if I had a thousand eyes, the brilliance of this light would totally blind me and knock me flat on my face upon the floor. God convinced me supernaturally that Jesus is the one and only Son of God and that Jesus' death upon the cross was the only payment that God would accept for all the sins of mankind, including my own sins. She said, but then I begged God, can, can I just be a closet Christian? And then God, He doesn't he allow that. He wants us to follow Him in believer's baptism like Lydia did. You notice that? In Philippi, I, I think she's living in Philippi. She runs home and she goes, guys, man, I've met the one true God. I've met Jesus Christ. And man, y'all need to come here about Paul. You know what I found? I found that Brand new Christians make the greatest evangelist because they don't, they don't get hard and calcified and ossified like us. Most of us in this room today, we've lost that, haven't we? Be honest. We've lost that zeal. We've lost that compassion, that, that joy to go tell the world. Well, Lydia, she, she hadn't lost it. She just got it. And she's, 
She runs, tells her family. Her family come in. They hear Paul. They all get saved. They all get baptized. But it wasn't that way for Zahaya. She said, I told my dad, I'm follower of Christ. I'm a freshman at Oklahoma Baptist University, and I'm going to be baptized in the Emmanuel Baptist Church. And he said, you know if you do that, you could lose your life. Can you imagine? No, no, really. Can you imagine? Your daughter says, Dad, I found Christ. And he says, you, you might die for that. And for the next 51 years, she and her father were alienated and separated because of her Christian faith. He didn't want to have anything to do with her until when he was 91 years of age, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. He was born again. <clears throat> and Zahaya says in her words, we had five years of a beautiful relationship before he died, one month before his 96th birthday. She said, I became the first member of five generations of my sixth-generation Hassan Napa Arab Lebanese American family to become a Christian. Five generations include two grandparents, two parents, two brothers, a sister, and me, my four children, and my 11 grandchildren. And now, she says, there's a sixth generation of my 11 great-grandchildren. And she says, ah, my fervent prayer is that all 11 of my sixth-generation Hassan Napa family will also become born-again followers of Jesus Christ. That's her testimony. What a powerful, powerful testimony. Thank you, Zahaya, for allowing me to share this, this great story. And, and, and Zahaya is quite remarkable. I visited her many times in the hospital. She's had multiple surgeries. How many, sister? I didn't hear. Y'all help me. 150 surgeries, she said. And she's still kicking. Amen. She's still here with us. And, I, and if you'll look up here in the, in the choir loft, uh, Brother Terry, she, she's faithful in the choir, had 150 surgeries. <laughs> What's your excuse? <laughs> I mean, she's convicting. It's convicting. And she gets downright upset if she is not able to come on Wednesday night rehearsal and sing in the choir. And the Lord opened Zahaya's heart. And the Lord opened Lydia's heart. The Lord opened Jennifer's heart. And the Lord, I believe that the sovereign God that He, that he is, He's opening some hearts today. You say, well, wait a minute. I'm exempt, for I'm of the male gender. And this message is all for the females. And by the way, religion's for, for women anyhow. You know what I'm saying? You're a nitwit. That's what I'm saying. Come on now. I mean, real men are men of God, men of faith, men of humility. That's, that's what a real man is. So God, God be praised as God opens your heart, whether you're a child. I, I believe some in Lydia's family, it says her whole household. My Catholic friends say, there's infant baptism, that's why we baptize infants, because of Acts chapter 16. I'm like, what Bible are you reading? It doesn't say infants were baptized, it says the whole household were baptized. Well, surely there were some infants. And that's an argument from silence. I would say, surely there were some kids. Surely there were some young people. We're going to get to baptize next uh, Sunday, and I'm up, aren't I, Brother Daniel? I'm going to baptize 
next Sunday, we're going to stir these waters. And if you want me, I only baptize just every now and then because we got great pastors that do that. And plus, I'm sitting there, and as I'm worshiping, I'm going over this message. But next Sunday, if you want me to baptize you, I'll be happy to baptize you. If you've not already been baptized, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's a public way of stating your faith. And Lydia did that. Zahaya did that. I remember when I did that, six months after I was converted, I was like, God, let's just keep this between you and me, okay? I'm coming to faith in you, but I I don't really want to do this baptism thing because ah, it's just so public, it's so conspicuous. Let's just keep this between you and me. And God said, I hear your prayer, and the answer is no. No. If you love me, go public for me. Identify with me. Identify with my people. And by the time God was through with me, I'm being honest with you, I was in a Baptist church just like this, and I come sprinting down the aisle. Man, I was like, woo! I mean, the Holy Spirit is hot on my trail. The hounds of heaven have been unleashed on me. They're sent. They've picked up my scent, and they're nipping at my heels, and I'm like, I got to give up to God. Listen, you can't run from Him. When He gets after you, He's going to catch you. And when He catches you and you surrender, you're like, why in the world was I running? Why was, I, why was I trying to outrun God? I looked to my right, there was my first cousin. He's coming forward to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. I said, what are you doing? He's my roommate in college. He said, I need to get baptized. I said, well, that's amazing. I looked over at 65-year-old Jack. I said, Jack, you're a pillar in the church. What are you doing here? He says, I got to get this right. I got to follow Jesus in believer's baptism. And the Baptist church had a holy hoop nanny party right there at the altar just going, woohoo! Man, look what God's done. I wonder if God wants to do that in your life today. He wants to open your heart. He wants you to follow Him in believer's baptism. He wants you to become a part of this church, be a part of this radiant bride of Christ, and help us as we reach this city and beyond. So let me pray for you as we have our invitation. And after I pray and we sing a a song, we, we are inviting you to give your heart to the Lord today. As the Holy Spirit of God opens your heart and your mind, Receive Him. Receive what He has for you, which is amazing. Forgiveness of sin, eternal life, the joy of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank You for what we've read today, what we've heard. Thank You for the everlasting gospel. Thank You, God, that it is Your gospel. Thank You that You are the God of salvation. You initiate it. You bring it about. You culminate it. You're awesome, God. You tell us, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes. Father, that's my prayer today, is there would be belief aplenty in this sacred place, at this sacred time. Lord, we also pray that those who know You would follow You in believer's baptism. They would be bold and unashamed. Thank You, Lord, for what we've heard today. Thank You for Zahaya's testimony. God, her testimony has spurred me on. It's encouraged me. Jennifer Fulweiler, God, thank you for her and her testimony. Thank you for Lydia. Thank you for the Apostle Paul, and thank you for their story that's been preserved in sacred Scripture that we might read it, understand it, and apply it to our lives. Lord, I know what today is. I know it's Mother's Day. And I miss my mom, Lord, so bad. But I thank you that she was a godly woman, and she is with you in heaven. And Lord, there are people in this this room right now, right here. They really need your touch, God. They need 
Lord, they just need you to assuage and to ameliorate, to improve, to encourage, to help them. Would you do that, God? Would you do that, Holy Spirit, only, only the way that you can, that you would draw that hurting heart close to your side? And Lord, if there is a lady here today that needs, that needs that, I pray that you would grant her that grace and that warmth and that forgiveness and that joy. Lord, I pray for all of us that those that don't know you, this day, God, they would come and they would not wait. And they would give their hearts to you. Bless our invitation, O oh God. Give us wisdom as we stand, as we greet people, as we welcome people to your family. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you be so kind to stand to your feet and please not leave. Just stand to your feet. Let's sing a song to the Lord. I believe it's the most sacred time of the entire service when we come and we invite you to give your heart and your life to Christ as we sing. God bless you as you come, even now, come.